0: Hello and welcome to the Gig Stories podcast with Alex and Chris as always. How are you, Chris? I'm very well. Thank you, Alex. How are you? I am good because the sun is shining. It's not raining. What a treat in Manchester. Mm. <laughs> Feeling all Christmasy now. This is very important from the top. Have you heard in full whams last Christmas yet?
1: Not in full. No. So I've not. But what's it called again? If you you get whammed? What is it called? Yeah. Something like that. It is like a wham like equivalent that. of um, being Rick rolled.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I've not. And and it is possibly, I mean, this is a debate that we could have, oh, maybe on the next episode, the Christmas episode. Mm. But what is the best Christmas song? Yeah. Because there's some there's some belters. But Last Christmas, it's just, oh, he, he nailed it, didn't he? What, mm. a, what a song. What a song. Feeling Christmassy. And today's episode... Uh, is a special episode. I mean, we are finishing the year on a high with with two great episodes. We've got a special Christmas one for you mm-hmm. uh, and watch this space. And today is a special one because as you will have seen uh, or heard from us two going on about it last weekend, we were invited to be part of Tim Burgess's Vinyl Adventures, Manchester and all around the city in various Venues, pop up shops, record shops. There was sort of guerrilla style live musical performances, spoken word uh, stalls selling vinyl. Um, and Chris and I were invited to the Deaf Institute and we were able to interview Tony Walsh. And so we have that live recording coming up for you. So that was very exciting mm. this week, Chris. How's your week been?
1: It's been all right. Yeah, not not too bad at all. I feel like winding down for Christmas now. I feel like I've 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 done twenty twenty one. You feel done, like have you completed yeah, it? I think I've completed it. Uh, I've not got a high score, but. Um, <laughs> I feel like and, and and you found none of the secret levels. <laughs> no, but I feel like the end of level boss is is looming. Um I'm not so... sure
0: your wife appreciates being called that. <laughs> Come on, no, you. It's hear the it?
1: dog, it's the dog. The dog is <laughs> the, is my end dog. of level boss. Well, oh, he's going to um, lick
0: you to death or something.
1: <laughs> um so yeah, yeah, just uh, I've been doing some theater photography and um yeah, just kind of Tying up loose ends, really. I didn't have any gigs, but you had a gig, didn't you? you yes, had a gig I did a few days ago.
0: But before I mention that, I am reminded, listener, um, as Chris talks about his photography, his prints are for sale, and you will still, if you're listening to this, sort of uh, pretty quickly uh, on Monday or Tuesday next week, you may still have time to order some Christmas gifts. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, they are. Yeah, yeah. They are belting thank you uh, I took
1: got... forever getting all of these galleries on and I've still not got all of my um, galleries I'm, I'm trying to get all of the um, bands and artists that I've photographed onto the website just so that there's a uh, you know everyone can can see them and there's a, a kind of record of what I've done I'm quite liking the uh, the idea of a visual archive um,
0: and listener let me just point out Chris the professional photographer's priorities his excel spreadsheet of gigs he's been to is finished <laughs> however <laughs> gallery of photographs is still in progress
1: progress. yeah (laughs) but I've got loads of bands which I haven't I haven't put on yet um I've kind of prioritized a lot of the indie stuff and the the young bands but um there's a whole load of um stuff from the 80s and 90s which I haven't not not that I was photographing in the 80s and 90s but some bands and artists who were Bigger in the 18th century. so the likes of Proclaimers and Sinead O'Connor and um, Me Neville Staple and All these kind of soul to soul They're not on it yet um, oh, man. So
0: get yeah. them on Get them on I'm I've I've Genuinely been looking through and deciding w- Which prints I want To get from you um, and where In the house that I'll be able to <laughs> Put them all in the toilet I think Downstairs toilet that's fair but, um, You know No, there's some great prints. Honestly, January, January, listener. Um, I'm not saying this because he's there. He can't hear me at the moment. He can't hear me. But they are some great prints and um, great Christmas uh, presents and birthday presents and New Year's presents and all those kind of things. (laughs) Bless you. Anyway, yeah, so gig. So Tuesday night was the gig I've been waiting for since June when I bought the tickets, and I've mentioned it on here an awful lot. Little Sims so the little sims album and sam fender's album are my my two albums of the year uh, joint i can't separate them hmm. and uh you know you all know how much i'm obsessed with sam fender and if you don't know little sims um you really should find out because she is one of the greatest poets or lyricists around at the moment um hmm. she is just incredible and i put it on twitter um, and maybe I shouldn't have, cause it's quite, it's actually become a cliche and I put, you know, I'm, I'm a white middle-aged man, but somehow little Sims still uh, feels relevant to me. And I think that's becoming a cliche now. I sort of need to get over that, um, because <laughs> we're well down the road of, of, of hip hop, aren't we? So I should feel sort of less uncomfortable about being a white village man like in hip-hop and grime and rap um and it was it was unbelievable i i know i know i get really excited about gigs and it can be hard for me to criticize or give unbiased Opinions and views, and and I at the moment I'm generally going to gigs that I want to be at. I was going so to say I really want you to could, go to a bad change. gig
1: because I've not really heard you talk about a bad gig. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. I,
0: I can, I can, I can recognise when a gig might be flat. But well, I think can, we,
1: just can we can we book in a couple of gigs where we know they're probably almost certainly gonna be awful? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. actually thinking about it, I mean, Gary Barlow's. We've missed him. It was he was last week. Um, yeah, but, I know. But we shame. can, yeah, I know, because that could have been the one. Um, but it's we can maybe look at. Um, well, I'm not it's also name hard, names, though. It's also, I'll make a list. I'll make a mental because some, list
0: because some are sort of some names are close to home, and I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to say it on the podcast. So I'll, I'll say it, you know, uh, away. Just text um, me and I'll say it. The podcast. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I yeah, like yeah. that. And then That's they'll funny. definitely not know it was me. <laughs> but the um, the anticipation of Tuesday night, and let me just say it was in the Albert Hall in Manchester, which is absolutely my venue of choice right now. If I could see anyone, anywhere, it's going to be the Albert Hall. So if you're anywhere near Manchester listeners, you have to have a look through the Albert Hall listings and, and watch a gig. <clears throat> Find an artist that... <clears throat> That you like. uh, Oh, well done. And it is just the sound, the sound there. It's this old Methodist church, as we've mentioned before. The sound is unbelievable. And if you put everything comparatively, it is the loudest reception I have ever heard consistently through a gig like all the time, hairs on the back of your neck. And, you know, I compare that to pff, Bowie at Glastonbury or, um, you know, Sam Fender this year, who had two years uh, away from live performance, comes back is playing Marinas. I mean, that was great reception, but nothing touches the other night. And she had just won. Uh, she had just come to Manchester off the back of winning the MOBO award, Best Female. And as soon as she walked on and she walked on with attitude as well, because the first half she had a jacket and her shades on. So she meant business Mm. and she, she went through the darker tracks and then halfway through the gig, the jacket and the sunglasses came out and she had a shirt on and it was more, more of a sort of R and B kind of dancey, lovely things. But the noise, it was like a Michael Jackson concert, She couldn't even start for two minutes because the crowd were that loud and anyone there will back me up. It was unbelievable. And she was so taken back by it, her and her band. Mm. And it was just, it was just brilliant. The band were absolutely on it. The sound was incredible. And she considering generally her flow is so quick. She does not miss a beat. And she's just on it and she played the crowd literally. though, we were in the palm of her hands, uh, even me waving my arm left and right when she wanted to, because I was completely in, you know, like you just, just didn't care. Like I, my hand was in the air, right? Like you just and didn't I was waving it. care. It, pff, exactly, wow. there's something in that, Chris. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was it was incredible and it was just it's just nice to see more British black female artists up top there and and since Tuesday uh, Leeds and Reading festivals have announced headliners and it's nice to see Rage Against the Machine headlining but Dave uh, and then below Dave Little Sims uh, playing so that is just I'm loving it I think festivals in Britain at least are really, uh, are really picking up on 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 what people want to hear and see so an amazing gig and honestly even if you're not sure who she is or you're not even keen on rap hip-hop you really should see little sims and six
1: music song of the year is that right did she have is she i think
0: so oh really what i love you i hate you could be woman she's got so many on this album yeah i can't remember I i
1: was listening to chris hawkins the other morning and oh, I'll have to I'll played. have to check. Yeah. I but
0: she remember. was she was uh wonderful. She was wonderful. Wicked. Uh, now, speaking of speaking of gigs, Chris, I want to throw this at you. I saw the Libertines last week, um which was a, a surprise. In Newcastle. Um in Newcastle, and that that was blistering. Um and was due to go and see Shed 7. And sadly, both the Libertines and Shed Seven have had to, uh, and Star Sailor, actually, mm-hmm. Star yeah. Sailor. Um, and oh, I saw James Walsh uh, performing in Piccadilly Train Station as part of Vinyl Adventures Day. He sort of did a bus cassette, and that was just gorgeous. Now, sadly, all three of those artists have had to postpone dates and gigs because of COVID. And so COVID is hitting again, and it's it's making it difficult for um Artists to to perform, but what is making it more difficult, and has has obviously been historically uh, a, a problem or uh, something that's just not great, and it's been highlighted again by Tim Burgess this week on social media, and Peter Hook has written um, in a bit more length about it,
1: mm.
0: is venues taking up to a twenty five percent commission on an artist's merchandise what do you think of that
1: well it's i think it's always been the case with a lot of a lot of venues um but it seems and i didn't know that
0: by the way did you know that
1: i knew i knew some venues were um were taking taking their cut and i do think that it's absolutely ridiculous um I know some venues absolutely don't, and there have been a few few venues coming out and saying we'll never do it. So Gorilla was one which came out and said we don't do it, and we'll never do it. Um, and I'm Good guessing um, there will be a few other. It seems to be the independents who will who won't do that. I would have thought, and it seems to what be. what a the,
0: surprise. Like, yeah, but um, the independents who could probably do with it the most. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same. But at the same time, as Hookie said, in some instances, you're talking about a few hundred pounds, which will be nothing to a big venue, but could mean everything to a smaller yeah. artist.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting also what Hooky had said about, well, okay, you take 25 of the merchandise, we'll take 25 of the bar takings and yes. see, uh, because they're coming in, the, the audiences are coming in to see us. So exactly. what's what's the what's the difference here what's the difference between a merchandise cut and a and a bar bar cut and also yeah. I, I that reminds me of um I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast but um I remember playing in a band at King Tuts in in glasgow and I'm pretty sure that there was a bar cut where if you went oh, up to you the said bar, that yeah you went up to the bar and say and they would ask you who are you here to see if it was like a, a bill of three or four bands you'd say the name of the band they would put. they would ring that in the till <laughs> as they were putting the money through and then at the end of the night you just got a little and you didn't get much you know sometimes it no, could but, be pennies but yeah. it was it was it was more about the point and the fact that bar, uh, bands were valued and that i think is the main thing is about bands and artists being valued um and you know 25% when, when that's basically going to be a, for a lot of the the things that are being sold, is the markup? That's that's the profit. Exactly. That is the profit. So t- Tim's saying the markup on on um, on vinyl, for example, that's all but wiped out when you when the when the um, the venue takes twenty five percent.
0: I'm I'm going to try and find out because I'm just having this thought now, uh, and and my thoughts which has gone sort of all over the place. Is is remembering that on One Direction's last stadium tour, they I'd read that they were making up to a million pound a night from merchandise alone. Mm-hmm. So that now has me thinking: when you go to a stadium gig and you see whoever Muse, Coldplay, whoever it is in the stadium, Bruce Springsteen, do these stadiums take commission on merchandise? Because that is a massive massive watch so it'd be interesting to see at what level that that commission happens is it happening on from the smaller venues right up to stadium or is it is it just these yeah b- sort of smaller I smaller mean, just venues think, i wonder
1: just think how much a venue could make from 25 percent of those billy eilish hoodies i mean that's oh, good grief <laughs> you know, that i still was... can
0: <laughs> Still can't get over that. But I did, as Clara Amfo told me, I waited for the Billie Eilish merch to come out in Primark, which it has. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, now owns a £10, maybe £12 Billie Eilish hoodie from Primark.
1: As opposed to the, how much you would pay at a... (laughs) What was it? £160. 160 quid for a hoodie. 25% of that. Oh my God. Anyway, (sighs) Anyway, so I think it's, I think it's, great that this has been highlighted and i think um, as ever tim kind of highlighted it in a very generous and curious way it wasn't just him going we want more money he was saying charlatans are fine we're we're doing all right um yeah but if this is what happens to us with our merchandise what's it what's happening to bands who are still working as well as performing in a band or they've only just quit their jobs and have gone on tour. You know, the, the yeah. merch is the merch is the is the wage a, a lot of the time.
0: I think when we have said in the past, and and I've I, I've taken it from Chris Hawkins, um, from Six Music DJ and former guest on on here. He said, you know, he gets to a lot of gigs for free, and I would be a uh, I would be lying if I said I haven't been to a lot of free gigs lately. I have and so he always said well in those instances i try and buy merch uh, and that is what i do as well but now if you're not sure about whether the band is going to take all the money for the merch or if a venue's taking commission i think my my thinking's going to be different now website. i'm going to buy online from yeah. the artist's website because at least i know then that is the best way for them to make make the money so if you'd like to do that as well listener please feel free yep there
1: we go right um shall we move on to our episode this week um absolutely uh, tony walsh what a lovely fella um i mean he lives just down the road from me in presswich and i often see him walking around um heaton park when i'm walking my dog and um yeah he's just a, a, a love lovely guy but um has seen so many live gigs from late 70s onwards and again as with a lot of these interviews i feel like we scratched the surface um but it was but it was was a good old chat and um yeah i don't i I don't really want to go in too much to what we talked about really just gigs live music and um that's about it really it's it's just really funny it's good fun
0: it was a lot of fun and as we've just been speak, speaking about merchandise tony walsh is a fantastic poet writer and so visit his social media and his website and um buy his books buy his stuff go on um and i, I bought one of his uh, one of his books uh, after the interview and so help support these uh, these wonderful artists and creatives so without further ado Here is Tony Walsh. Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of the Gig Stories podcast. This is going out as part of... Tim Burgess from the Charlatans, his vinyl adventures, Manchester, and so Chris and I are out of our bedrooms where we started the podcast a year ago. Uh, back with uh, Clint Boone, he was number number one, wasn't he? Number
1: number one, number two episode, but yeah, number
0: one. Oh yes, yes, our first guest, and we are privileged to be at the Deaf Institute today, and we have none other than. Tony Walsh. Tony Walsh, welcome and thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh no, really appreciate it. Now, it's a Christmas special. And so we're all feeling very Christmassy. So actually, first of all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, yeah, I've got compulsory gifts oh, wow. for you oh, both. You're too you and kind. Chris. You're too kind. You, have to, you have to have a selection box, don't you? You've got to have a selection box at Christmas. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And now, for those of you who are stood in the room. It is absolutely worthwhile just making sure you can hear this next bit because Chris has a bit of a competition. And all essentially, right. it's Tony versus
2: you lot. So, yeah, this is a surprise for to Tony. It's a surprise explain, for me. You're not going to uh, ask me make a, make a poem up on the spot. Right? No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all.
1: So, um, we've got a present here and it could be yours, Tony. Could be. Could it be, could be, mine. be. You've already got one. Yeah. This could be yours. It is a live, a classic live LP. Okay and I'll give you two clues and then you can ask me three questions okay. and if you can guess what it is yeah. you get it. It's yours. Live LP. Yeah? Live yeah. LP. Live right? LP. But if you don't get it after those three questions that you ask then somebody from the audience can ask as well and well, if then, they get it right, they get it. If they, they get don't, the album. If, if they don't get it right you Go get on
0: it. then, go for it. Okay, so it's from nineteen sixty-eight. 1968. 1968. 1968. 1968. Live, Live album, album, 1968. And it's not... A
1: rock album. It's not a rock album. So you can ask three questions.
2: Is it a UK artist? No. Is it a male artist? Yes. Is it George Harrison? No. (laughs) So so you can can have one more guess. Um, 1968. Is it Johnny Cash live at St Quentin?
1: Johnny Cash Live. Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm going to
2: have to give it to you. Johnny
1: Cash Live. <laughs> go
0: on, go on. <laughs> no, Open it. That, that, that. Hang on. Before you open it. I want to see what... We've got a gentleman here who had his hand up. What was your question? What was your guess going to be?
2: Oh, he's going Elvis. He's going for Elvis. Ah. Folsom Prison. Look like, at that. Is it, was it, not something? Is it, always, is it always Folsom? No, he no, did too. That's, that's pretty impressive, don't you think?
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I impressed myself then. And, and essentially, the, the answer that you got that from was it's not George Harrison. Yeah, I was thinking it was that like live, live at Buda
2: Khan. I don't know where that came from. That's, oh, I'm well that's good. In. I've not had that good. for years. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. There we, are. there
0: we are. Look at that. Look at that. The Gig Stories podcast. Look at, face. <laughs> Look at his little face. Look at his little face. <laughs> Lovely. So, oh, that's good. So, right, so, <laughs> I'm off now. Yes, yeah, so like, Happy Christmas. Yeah. He's got his selection box in his Johnny. Uh, so, well, that makes me feel a little better, sir, that you haven't missed out there, because you're going with <laughs> it. Elvis, which which one would that have been? Was, uh, 68 Special. Uh, comeback
1: special
0: oh, f- but the 68 comeback special did they actually release that though as an album like I think so yeah because I'm not an Elvis aficionado I feel sort of.
2: there's one of the greatest moments in recorded sound in that where Elvis goes um, I ain't I ain't never did no wrong Is one of the greatest I ain't it. never
1: yeah. did no <laughs> <laughs> well yes. I was watching clips of it yesterday he's, he's all in black leather isn't he Yeah, comes yeah looking good. he's yeah. fit I mean, he's fit, he fit. <laughs> you forget how fit Elvis was yeah, yeah
2: he, he, he was a full package wasn't he, oh, he yeah. was He was. well he
1: was in that suit anyway yeah yeah
2: yeah worked for um, you Chris did it <laughs> <laughs> so oh I'm you for now good hey, I'm glad good. you like that I don't know what the
1: quality of the yeah, vinyl yeah, yeah. is like but yeah. um, I realised I had two of them so I was <laughs> like
2: yeah I think I think Johnny Cash's first gig outside America was uh, at the old Irish club on, on Plymouth Grove which became the International 2 I think I read that that, that was his first wow. gig off uh, really off American soil, I think so, yeah. Wow. yeah, No way. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That is good Look at that.
0: He's got all the info. All the info. Now, no, normally on the podcast, we'd have um, a lot longer, almost unlimited time, some of our guests would say, or moan about. I don't know. Yeah. But we still, just very briefly, still want to take you back and just ask you about your beginnings with music yeah, yeah. and w- whether you grew up in a musical household, were your parents listening to music and 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 your
2: childhood there. My mum you think your parents are ancient, don't you? But my mum and dad were in the early twenties when I was born and, and um so my mum had a, an old dance set record player. Brilliant. You know with the, with the cool legs and the Yeah. And love, um I, I commandeered that. So I had some of my mum's sixties singles lying around. So uh, the Beatles, I want to hold your hand, was was there, and he's and uh, I don't care what they say, I won't stay in a world without love. Brilliant. I, I, I remember those, and uh, my dad, had Johnny Cash, which is probably why that, <laughs> yeah. why, why that came to me. But he wasn't. A, I'm not pretending it's a massive musical ha- household, but I music meant a lot to me from a very early age. So we're talking about Elvis, and you know you have to remember Elvis was on in the school holidays back then. You know the, all the Elvis films were on all the time. So um, one Christmas. Uh, big advertising campaign, Elvis Forty Greatest, and I bu- and I bought that with my own money uh, when I was about eight or nine. Was that your first record? Uh, I think my first record was Twenty Great uh, Western Themes. I can see I can see it now with a gunfight, and you were looking through one guy's legs at the other guy. That you bought yourself with yeah, your yeah, and it, and it was I think it was uh, like a music for pleasure or a Ronco thing. Yeah, yeah. and and all the orchestra, all the surgery, all the only Western themes. I but love, i think i think the first I, th- I think the first record about my own money was elvis 40 greatest and i know i know every note of that and you know when you hear a song and you, in your brain you know what's going to come on next yeah and, and it, it doesn't yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah i know every note of that record. i think I i've got
1: it. records like that where i know when the scratch is going to come yeah, when yeah, it's yeah. going to jump i go and when i hear a song that i used to play on a record all the time yeah. When I hear it on the radio I'm expecting the jump to
2: come. And on, yeah, on no, the I, I, yeah. On the dance set like you never changed a needle in twenty years and you used to have to put two Ps, two pences on, it. on the arm and take them on so it didn't jump. Yeah. And That's uh, a very cool record. I mean it's very similar to my first record, which was uh, Shaking Stevens this old house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah
0: I got that I got a clap.
2: That, <laughs> that got a little clap. It's he's massive Shaking Stevens, <laughs> you know. He's like one of the richest musicians or something. he, 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 he had that many hits in the eighties. Oh, it, it was it was bonkers. But they,
0: out, of, out of interest, does anyone remember their first vinyl record that they bought yeah. as, a, as a kid? Is anyone out there, g- just shout it out, what was yours, sir? Uh,
2: Buggles. 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 The radio star.
0: Which also, wasn't that the very first video to be
2: played on MTV? I think that's right, yeah, it would make sense. I think so. My oh, yeah. Perfect Cousin
0: by <laughs>
1: The
2: Undertones. My
0: Perfect
1: Cousin
2: by? Undertones. Oh, by The
0: Undertones, on green vinyl. That was your first record that you bought? Yeah. Nice. Oh. Shake, Blondie. Oh what?
2: Come on, you're all lying. I don't believe you. Shaking Stevens. I'm being honest here. I think I think there was a shawaddy waddy going on at one stage. Now we're talking. And a, and a, and the Bay City Rollers were very very cool when I was nine, ten. Yeah. I, st- I still I still I'm gonna I'm gonna live to regret this, but I still play a couple of Bay City Rollers tracks. <laughs> wait There's there's no. there's, 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 a, there's a clip of that on on YouTube that I share every so often on a, a chat show in America and the audience are all in the 70s and 80s and literally some of them well, there's an old lady with an ear trumpet no way and, and, they get, and they all get up rocking and it's the most beautiful joyous thing you've ever seen all these pensioners rocking out to the Bay City Rollers and the Bay City Rollers was, it was Americana it was classic jukebox pop they were trying to do yeah. and the Ramones were studying the Bay City Rollers and, and the sneakers and everything. And the Ramones took a lot from the Bay City Rollers. And the Ramones... Really? The Ramones, hey-ho, let's go, was written in response to the Bay City Rollers Saturday night. We need a chant.
0: Of cl- that's just clicked, of course. Yeah.
2: Hey, ho, let's go. The Ramones, the Ramones go. were yeah, massive anglophiles. Yeah. And if you, Joey Ramone was... Whilst he was trying to add to the Great American Songbook, you know, the bubblegum thing, you know. Yeah. He, he was really influenced by British stuff, and he, he actually tries to sing in a British accent, you, you can hear a little bit. Listen. That is,
0: yeah, that is great. So, so were your parents, um, did they go to live music? Did they go to live gigs the, at all that you the, remember? The honest
2: truth is I didn't go anywhere. I never went anywhere. Yeah. I, I grew up in poverty, and, and I, I remember a handful of days out, in my entire childhood, yeah, a couple of trips to Debdale Park, couple right. of trips to the, a couple of trips to the cinema. We, we never went on a holiday. We just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So uh, there, there wasn't records in the house. My parents weren't going out in that sense, yeah. you know. So music was what I turned to, looking, looking for some culture, looking for some colour. So when, when was the moment? Because.
0: Um, I wasn't. I wasn't quite like that. My. I I grew up in a very working-class family, and and my, my mum would go to maybe one or two concerts a year, which was I remember being a massive treat, and it would be, the Everly Brothers or you know Jack Jones. I've said this before, but uh, on the podcast. Um, But there must have been a moment of great release where having that kind of background that you had. When you got to your first gig, and actually. Followed that passion that yeah, you had. Yeah. What,
2: what was it? When was it? How did that feel? Well, how did it come about? So, I found music for myself. So, yeah. Top of the Pops was a cultural iconic moment every Thursday. Yeah, uh, kids, kids TV. Really? Um, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, the Elvis <laughs> thing, the Beatles thing, seeped, was seeped into culture. But like l- lots of kids and working class kids of my age, who were in their early teens when punk happened, that was a that was a year zero m- moment for me so seeing the breakthrough punk bands on so i was born in 65 so i was 11 in 76 12 in 77 so my my okay. first gig was 1979 and it was the skids at uh, oh uh, the, uh, the apollo and um, wow. the, the skids were massive for me i must have seen um uh, into the valley on top of the pops and you know the the glam stars bowie and bowling looked like they're from another planet the uh, the the hairy prog rock guys were art school and what were they on about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you were, when you were fourteen, Paul Weller was nineteen, you know, and those guys were just a bit a bit older than you. And the un, you know the Undertones, you know, had, and Marky e. Smith, you know, they had crappy gear on that, that looked like you wore from yeah. from Jumble yeah. Sales. You know, your dad's jacket and an old V-neck jumper and, and flares that were too short, and it was just identifiable.
1: So you were saying that um, skids, you saw them on. Um, top of the pops I would have but been. obviously that wouldn't have been live because I mean as we talked about in a, yeah. a, a, an episode a couple of weeks ago with Anna Dobo, she was saying it was
0: Maria McKee who kind of if you remember Maria it. McKee show me heaven that song yeah. from her, show me she she's as far as we we're aware, she's possibly the first and maybe the only person to sing live and she demanded yeah. to sing live and even though that that was could be to I don't know maybe some of us here a bit of a throwaway pop song to a Tom Cruise film if you find if you find that on Top of the Pops her voice is incredible on it and she Mm. demanded and you know they've had Tina Turner and all kinds on who you know had to had to mine so you saw uh, and I've I've just got to quickly explain because we will probably have a lot of listeners who haven't heard other episodes Uh, and my daughter's behind giggling when Tony just mentioned Paul Weller because Chris and I have mentioned how we we've been meeting famous people, and just last week I was going to yeah. um, I was going up north to do Christmas lights. I, I used to be on kids TV for a long time, and so I still do family events. And um, I was doing Christmas lights in Durham, and we stopped off at services in Weatherby on the M62. As we're driving out, Paul Weller walks past me, and I just was like. Oh my God, it's Paul Weller, it's Paul Weller. And my wife says, well, just say something. You never ever say something. I went, um, uh, and I, pr- this is what happens. And I, it's so embarrassing. And my my daughter's dying there. I love you, mate, Hello I love you. Pre- <laughs> I pressed the button and the window came down. Paul, Mwah. love you. I said, Paul blew him a kiss and shouted, love you and drove off. Literally like this with my head on the steering wheel my daughter behind me just going oh my god dad that was so cringy yeah yeah but oh, I understand I I, the um,
1: episode, sorry I was just going to say Tony <laughs> but, um, the, the episode that we've just put out you had the pres- Grace had the presence of mind to record it so it, you can actually hear Alex going love you
2: so if any of you here want to hear that after this interview I'm not playing I'm I, I, I um, so they, I've just made a point of driving past the Apollo now and he said it's a holy place for me and 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 yeah, is. you know, it, that was literally the biggest room I'd ever been in, and 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 and, uh, and the, the the volume, uh, the the support band, the volume, and the you know, smell who, the smell of beer. Who and, was the support band? There was a Scottish band called Fring, Fingerprints with a Z. Fingerprints. Oh, nice. with a Z. I love that you uh, remember the spot. Yeah. These are the things. And and what you you said the smells there. Beer, sweat. Yeah. Fags. We mainly. Yes. And and brutes, probably. Brute yeah. <laughs> Brute. Do you remember how much the ticket was? 250. Two fifty. Two quid. Two fifty, eh? Remember those days? I remember going to see Elvis Costello and it was four quid and that was the first time the, the price didn't start with a three and I thought it was outrageous. But yeah. but Paul Weller wow. So we used to we used to hang about behind Apollo. So I'm I'm from Denton so I didn't get into town much till then, but Hyde Road. You knew where the Apollo was, you know. You come in up Hyde Road, okay. So we used to we used to turn up in the afternoon and hang about behind the Apollo and the pub there's Apsley Cottage, is it called? And we wait for the bands to arrive, and we 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 turn up at twelve and never realise that the bands never got there till like five because they'd been in Aberdeen the day before. <laughs> yeah, And uh, we did it for the Jam, who were massive in, in 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 a in a way that's hard to explain to council house kids, and. Um, the jam came and immediately opened the fire exit doors and let about 30 kids into the sound check. No way. Yeah, and they were, no- oh, you know, they were number yes. one at the time, you know what I mean? Just the coolest thing. So that's why I love Paul Weller, that's s- why I told him I loved it. So, so <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in the Apollo, <laughs> we're in the Apollo, it's just two rows of kids at the front of a jam sound check, and they walk on stage, and somebody brings a big case of, um, you remember McEwen's Lager with the Cavalier on? They put a case of McEwen's Lager down, and Paul Weller gets a can, he cracks it open, he has a swig, and I'm on the front row like this i goes paul i says when you finish with your can mate he says can i have it and he'd only had one swig and he gave me his can so my my first ever taste of alcohol i'll certainly like paul wella yes. <laughs> so i um yes. so i uh i got my mojo that day hopefully yes and then he signed it for me and um, he signed the can i had it for years and i lived in charlton when i was when i was about 20 in a damp flat and it went rusty No Freezing cold flat With damp on the walls It went rusty But I've got my jam album I had two jam albums signed And I swapped one With a girl When I was 16 I swapped My signed copy For her unsigned Which was a mistake That was a big mistake Thinking you were in love Tony I know I know And And she's no your wife No No (laughs) No. No. But then But then on the bus I tried to ask (laughs) Go home To come back again And I tried to pay I think it was like 6p On the bus (laughs) And the guy goes If you're old enough To drink that You're old enough To pay full fare (laughs) And and, uh, and I didn't, I didn't complain, I just paid it. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, my Apollo story.
0: That is absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. So did you, were you ever a, and this is something that Chris and I love, because we are uh, sort of hoarders and geeks, we've collected a lot of memorabilia yeah. and ticket stubs, and one of us has all his gigs on an Excel spreadsheet.
2: <laughs> I think I deserves yeah. a round of applause yeah, there, yeah. know, for a friend. yeah. Thank no, you. don't, don't, yeah. Don't, do he, not he, encourage it. He studies it and puts the anal in analysis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I have to say, it was,
1: it was a lockdown project. I was very, you know, uh, I d- I d- there's only so much gardening you can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd stop.
0: Chris Payne <laughs> puts the anal in analysis.
1: But, but, um, <laughs>
2: There you go. Yeah, that's on do, the Do, cage, I, do I collect tickets? Yes, so so do I do. You, do I, you collect yourself? What
0: What's your oldest? What's your oldest ticket store? Oh, well, all,
2: all of that punk stuff. So the Sex Pistols had broken up by then, but I saw all the, the, the punk and new wave bands as they came through the Apollo. So the Stranglers loads of times, Stiff Little Fingers loads of times, uh, the Clash... Um, uh, Susie and the Banshees The Damned Holiday so I've got all, all of those things what, but what? I'm sad enough now I actually buy that stuff I don't just collect it I, I buy I go I spend my life on eBay buying, buying not just that stuff looking at that it's putting Manchester into music memorabilia I buy old theatre handbills and no uh, all sorts of stuff yeah
0: what C- can I just talk about, I, I want to go back to the bands that you've referenced but As a Welshman, I grew up in Cardiff, Mm. uh, and I left when I was 19 to go to university in Liverpool. So my my sort of teenage gig-going years were, um, I always say that my favourite venue is Club Ivor Bach, which is the Welsh club, which is a fantastic venue, which is, um, what's it similar to? This place? Yeah, this place, maybe not not even as big upstairs, probably smaller. I saw the Strokes there, which was unbelievable and they were just out in the crowd and we were carrying albert hammond round on our shoulders I,
2: but I, I, I saw the strokes at academy three on that that first tour it was amazing with um, yeah me too that was the with, tour with um, the moldy peaches moldy peaches and, that's and, the and, tour uh, yeah i i, I it was an excellent gig they were mass, they were miles too big for the venue it could have been upgraded my main memory of that gig was i had an ingrowing toenail a badly drawn boy stood on my toe (laughs) I I was in absolute agony do
0: you know what I'm glad you just said that because I think people think I'm lying but what you've just said there they could have upgraded because what happened is The Strokes announced I think it was only four or five gigs Manchester Cardiff and the others in the meantime they go absolutely stellar but they said no, we were, and I, I got this from uh, the manager at the time, in Cardiff, who said, no, they wanted to do those gigs. Yeah. And so outside, it, yeah. yeah, outside the Welsh club, ticket, which would have been, was it 2,000? No, 99, like 92,000? No. Tickets would go at right, change hands for a hundred quid, yeah. uh, to see that, and that, that tour was, it was a great tour, that yeah. Was but, when I, when I came up to Liverpool, Liverpool's got great venues, but I kept coming to the Apollo in Manchester, I saw Bjork there, you know, everyone's chance. Every, and even now, now I live in Manchester,
2: the Apollo is now my favourite venue. What is it about the Apollo? It, it's, it's not just the Apollo. It's, the Victorians knew what they were doing. Mm. You know, as, as a performer, now you walk into a room and, and this there's, there's often something not right about it the the ratios of the stage height to the size of the room and pillars in the way and the heights of the ceiling yeah but if the, the Apollo has just got it right They the sight lines the Albert Hall here in Manchester is what is it if you've been to that room it has oh, got a yes. high stage it isn't very deep the balcony is very low yeah. and the Victorians just got it right and I don't know why we keep trying to reinvent it just follow what those guys I did. think Rick
1: from um, so one of the earlier episodes was Rick from Ash, and he was oh, talking about Ash. the Astoria. Yeah. I'd, I'd never been, mm. but he was saying that the, the balcony was really close yeah, to is. the stage, so he felt kind of really enclosed. You know,
2: the, right the, on the, it. The, the job of a venue, the job of anybody putting anything on, is to facilitate the connection between the artist and the audience, and some venues yeah. really help that, yeah. and some venues re- uh, really don't, and you're up against it. Mm. But um, I, I imagine, I don't think the, the Apollo was built in Victorian times, it was probably built in the 30s, I think, looking at it. Yeah. But th- those, you know, it comes from classical architecture and. I suppose you know.
1: there's the raked floor as well, yeah. which helps with this, the sight lines. So, I mean, I, I was going to say with sight lines, how, how do you deal with that? You know, because you're, you're taller than Alex.
2: Uh, um, everyone's taller than me. It's th- I'm, I'm six foot five. i I'm, I'm To be honest, I'm really conscious of that. And, uh, I was going to say. I used uh, to be down the front when I was. Uh, you know, for these punk gigs. But I, I, <laughs> I what I do now, I I don't like standing in front of people, and I, I I come in the side, and I come in at the at the point just just sort of around the edge of the mosh pit sort of thing where yeah. I can see. I don't like. And and everyone goes. there's Tony. Size of that, size of that acid, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, seeing isn't normally a problem. No, no, no. visibility.
0: Joe, <laughs> you know, that venue. I thought. Um, on Friday night, uh, it, it was completely last minute, I was doing another Christmas lights up in Durham way, and my daughter was with me and I said to her in the car, oh just see what's on in Newcastle tonight, let's see what's going on. And top of the search, a Google search, came up the Libertines. Yeah. Now for me the Libertines are a band I miss, because I had a two year, what I call a dark period where I missed all music, which is another chat. And involves religion, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very interesting, chat. <laughs> anyway, I come home and my mates are like, So do you know about the Libertines? Do you know? I'm like, I have no clue who they are. So I'm a real late uh, fan of the Libertines. And Friday is the first time I've seen them at their own gig. And it we we got tickets and it was the O2 Academy in Newcastle. And the venue is very similar to the Apollo. And when you mentioned Uh, when you mentioned just a few minutes ago seeing all those bands, The Clash, Sex Pistols...
2: I didn't see The Sex Pistols at a time. Oh, sorry,
0: no, you didn't. The Stranglers, sorry. Stranglers, uh, The The Clash. For me, The Libertines are sort of newish, which I know is ironic because it's 20 years old. As I watched them that night, and my daughter didn't really know many tracks, it was was blistering. And I thought, if The Clash was still around today, I think this is possibly what they'd sound like. I didn't realise that the Libertines were so jazz influenced, That's were so then reggae, punk. It was I was literally blown away. I was like, Oh my gosh, they are incredible. I, 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 what saw, them, I, been doing? I saw
2: them at the at the roadhouse on the on the first tour, well, right? Yeah. So I, I bought the NME and devoured it religiously from being thirteen. I remember the first NME I bought, and it had Ted, Ted Nugent on the front, sat on the toilet. <laughs> and, and there's the a metaphor, yeah, and the NME was 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 my window on the world. You know, before the internet, here's all these you know alien people who've got this insight into this other world that's out there. And it was it was about you know 98 pages and it was very inky and you got it all over your hands and up your clothes, <laughs> but you got a sense of of another world being out there and you know Bowie and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground and it was quite heavyweight sort of intellectual probably pretentious you would say, oh, so really? so you wouldn't understand it so who you know who is Dostoevsky and who was William Burroughs and who were the Situationists and what is Dadaism it sent you looking for that stuff yeah, mm, yeah. so I. I read, I devoured that right down to the badge adverts at the back. Yes. For, for like thirty years. So I, I went to see the latest hot band, every, you know, right through in, until the early two thousand on the enemy's recommendation. So the Strokes, the Libertines, and um, the White Stripes came through this uh, on the same wave, really. Yeah, yeah. And I saw the White Stripes at the Roadhouse, but I, but I, but. Wow. But. Um, I struggle with the libertines. It was too, it was almost too rammed, and they didn't impress me as much as, as the strokes or the white stripes. Did. But I've, I've come I've come back to them. Do you know what what was interesting? Uh, uh, and this is um, this is meant to be
0: purely positive. Uh, a few years ago, they um, w- I'm part of uh, Tim Peaks at Kendall Collin, which is a really small venue with Tim Burgess. And we had
2: the Libertines come and play a secret set. I, I was there. Oh, you were there, weren't you? Because I was angling to do a poem uh, before they went on, oh, and couldn't man. make it happen. I was there. And, and and Pete, I'm absolutely pleased
0: to say, Pete Doherty now is is on the mend and is clean. Now my daughter again who's here; she had a lot of mentions. We had <laughs> we had a talk about heroin because of that gig. Pete came and bless him, he was in a right mess. And it was it was a really nice chat with my daughter, and we were able to be frank. And you know what? Friday night, she was like. Oh, Dad, he is brilliant because mm. he's he's put on weight. He yeah, looks yeah. healthy. He was he was able to. He was still Pete Doherty, but he was able to chat. But they still had that slightly raggedy edge, and it, it was it was great, wasn't it, Grace? It, it, and it was just so nice I, to see. I admire that his happen. lyrics. He, he
2: came out of the poetry scene. He, he, yes, he, he used yeah, to he run uh, poetry open mics in 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 Covent Garden, and I know a lot of people who were on that scene with yeah. him. And he has poets supporting him, and. Um, uh, I met Carl Barat, th- the last poem in my book, my book's called Sex and Love and Rock and Roll and a lot of it's about music my last, the last poem in my book is called The Last Gang in Town? mark, and it, it's uh, a melange it's made of Clash lyrics and Clash references saying will we ever see their like again, bands yeah. that, that mean it like that Yeah. so when the Clash put their box set out about 10 years ago they did a in audience with uh, live at of Vale with um, oh, Kerry Smatthews right. So, I, I was invited to do my poem on the show. So I, no way. I did my Clash poem in front of the Clash, which was a little bit scary. Yes. And then that night they released the box set. The box set was done like a, a ghetto blaster, like a big, you know, yeah, that's 1981 right. ghetto blaster. Yeah. And they had a pop up shop in Soho. And uh, I wangled my way into that at the night. And it was, just, it was just punk central. You know, I met Glenn, Glenn Matlock, and Jonathan Ross was there, and Don Letts was there, and um, what's the supermodel called? Naomi Campbell no no Kate Moss uh, Kate Moss was there Pete and Doherty's partner for yeah, a while yeah uh, but I, I met Carl Barat that night and um, yeah he was a nice guy it was they They are sort of because I
0: it, it's almost like watching a new band for me so I think they're like in their early 20s but they're actually my age you know 44 and stuff uh, but I think they are <clears throat> that one band who are really um, maybe Fontaine's DC as well that have really got that
2: uh, and idols, really got that punk, the, you know, they're the, the, waving e- the, flag the The energy of those punk gigs, at the Apollo in 78, 79, by the time I was there, they'd been, you know, The Clash had played Bellevue before, but those bands were only nineteen, twenty one, and three months before, they'd been playing at, say, the Factory or the Poly, and they were one top-a-pop appearance, and they were catapulted onto um, the Apollo you know Apollo stage and lots of them only had one album they only had 40 minutes of material yeah and I've known some of them to do the big single twice yeah but the end the, <laughs> all of a sudden they found themselves in front of 3,000 14 15 year olds That's a and the, the energy I've seen it with the jam and some of those punk gigs I've seen it with the Smiths I've seen it with the Stone Roses I think the Fontaines are getting yeah. there yeah. But it's a very rare thing when a band connects not just with the students but with the council estates at the same time. Yeah. And the, the, to be big, you've got to do that. Yeah. But the energy of that is quite something.
1: And so what else do you remember about the crowd that
2: was at, you know, that
1: series of gigs, uh, punk gigs?
2: Violence. <coughs> uh, what, what was it yeah, really violent, was it? There'd they, be fights and the bouncers would punch kids and, and throw you out. And I saw all the seats ripped up once at a, at a Stranglers gig. We used, to, um, we used to bung the bouncers to get in. If a ticket was four quid, if you, if you waited till the, the main crowd was in and you, and you paid them, they'd, they'd bring you around the side and let you in and, and run, you, run you up the stairs. How much mm-hmm. would you have to pay them? Four or five quid when the tickets <laughs> were four or five quid. So I, I, saw the, I saw the back in black tour, ACDC. I, Where? At the Apollo. At the Apollo? Yeah. So oh, I, 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 incredible. I was incredible. Was, uh, I was a punky kid, but a lot of my mates, well, you'd say heavies, well, you'd say heavies. And um, so that seeped across some motorhead I was into. There's a punk. There's a bridge there, isn't he? Yeah, there is. Yeah. But ACDC I really got into Bon Scott era, and then he died. Of course. But then uh, Back in Black came out, and um, what was re- that gig like? It was the first rock gig I'd been to, you know, metal gig. Yeah. I remember the banks of Marshall stacks, which the punks really didn't go in for, and the volume, and they came out with the with the bell, you know. Yeah. and um, it's like you know Brian uh, what you call it Brian Johnson the, the new singer who's this guy but it, it, it was amazing it was amazing the energy and now I'm going to mention ACDC a few times they're, they're astonishing they, because it frustrates the life out of me
0: I've still not seen them and I have tried really hard to see them maybe not hard enough but just not willing to pay that much yeah, yeah, over yeah. the odds because they never get a ticket but I believe they still hold the record for uh, loudest decibels um uh, motorhead beat them and then acdc got it back but I, I i've watched with my son They there's a there's a a, a hd a high definition um footage on youtube of uh, one of their gigs in river plate in south america you've got to watch it
2: the crowd there is about a hun- over 100000 it is un real if, it's it, it's incredible if you haven't if you haven't seen that acdc at river plate gig it's, it's literally one hundred and fifty thousand people in the sports stadium and it isn't ten thousand people at the front no pogoing no. 150 see, 000 people going, are going mental. the whole thing yeah. and he looks like the sea they look like the sea and i and, just think and the guy walks out if i you know i was going to talk about this stuff later if i could have anybody's talent any moment in rock yeah angus well, young walks down a catwalk into the middle of a stadium plays one note <laughs> yeah. I, just sh- I just shiver then holds his hand in the air Bam. and 150,000 That is the power of that is incredible well I'm happy to go down an ACDC wormhole just let's do right. it. One, it yeah go it.
1: on so um, yeah what, what are your
2: thoughts it's it's a very basic rock template isn't it it's yeah. it's, it's the blues mm. and and you know uh, Angus Young isn't the lead wasn't the leader of that bang, band his brother Malcolm was was That's the it. engine of that band and, and called the musical shots and I only saw them on the Back in Black tour. And, and, and I parted company with them for some of the Brian Johnson's albums, I have to say. I played the Bon Scott stuff, but I did see them at the uh, Etihad about three or four years ago with your man from um, Guns N' Roses, Axel Rose. Mm. Oh, when you singing. replaced And I have Brian. to say, it worked. He's, that, he's got the same screechy voice. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but but Angus is 60-odd. And the miles he puts in, the energy he puts in, and what, what that man can do with two-note two riffs, ow, oh, ow. Oh. And uh, you know, it's incredible. I I still hope to see them
0: because I hear that. So uh, Brian Johnson dropped out because of ear problems, yeah, and yeah. He, they were to- you know the doctors told him you might go deaf, you might yeah, yeah, lose yeah. your hearing.
1: How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, but I believe he's going to be coming back for some gigs. Uh, we, Is we, that we, right?
2: We, we we you're going to ask me at the end for a gig recommendation. And I was going to say, if you haven't seen them, they've probably only got one more tour in them. And I know. you can see, see ACDC if you can, because just the, everything you want in a rock band, the, the, the blueprint is there. You know?
0: yeah. They, they, yeah, they are, they are incredible. They are Some incredible.
2: of the lyrics don't bear a lot of scrutiny by, uh, by yeah. modern standards, but uh, just sheer power. But not to old Gallagher's. Well, there we are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So what, what is your, so we normally have a, a, a quick fire round, and I always like to ask, what is your favourite gig? And that could change if I ask you in an hour or two hours, and that's what I like about you know any of us that are music fans, it's really hard to say favourite anything, but in this moment now,
2: what do you, what, what do you class as your favourite gig ever? The, the one gig that I go on about a lot is, is left Left Field now. No, 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 I don't mean left field the band. Oh, no, 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 I mean. I was going to say, they did one of my best you, ones at of Uni. <laughs> musically left field. Oh, go on. And I was at both the Einsteins and the Neubarten gigs at, at the Hacienda in 1983 and 85. So that was Blixer Bargeld, who went on to be uh, in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. So you couldn't, uh, you couldn't check out a band. In, in 1983, you had to go and see them you, if you hadn't heard them on John Peel, you had to go and see them Yeah. and you started hearing about these German art terrorists from Berlin, lived in squats <laughs> and um, who had scrap metal on stage and, and yeah. pneumatic drills and what have you and they were on at the Hacienda which had been open about a year and it was August and I went down and it is the most astonishing thing I have ever seen in my life so and it remains was so yeah, what was so the stage was covered in uh, scrap metal they had some scaffold uh, scaffold tubes rigged up, they had spanners <laughs> they they had uh, a drum kit I think they staggered out, Bargell had he looked like he'd cut his hair himself on the bus whilst pissed <laughs> <laughs> he had a, a dog collar on, he had great big industrial boots and he was completely off his head and he came out and he started hammering this metal and they had an angle grinder and sparks were coming everywhere and it was all amplified. (laughs) Within about the second song somebody had squirted lighter fluid into like a metal bowl and set it on fire and the guy, I I was on the front row, the stage was only low, his guitar was there and he was shouting in German and the, the veins were pulsing on his head. He was drinking neat vodka from a bottle and he was punching the guitar and within two songs, his knuckles, he had one string left on his guitar, and the blood was dripping off his elbow in front of my face. And he was just shouting. And it was all amplified, hammered, you know, and, and just industrial noise. And then they had a cement mixer. Talk about health and safety. <laughs> and they had, they had a crate of milk bottles, and they threw the milk bottles into the cement mixer, and they were <laughs> spitting out glass. And you and you, were, you were on the front row. And it was dangerous. There was fire and there was drunk people with power tools. Drunk people (laughs) with power tools? (laughs) Was the title of their live album. I was going to say, was
1: this all standing or was it cabaret standing There was about (laughs) about,
2: um, 45 people in the Hacienda. It it, it, it was a quite big place. And then he started lobbing the milk bottles up into the air, behind you, 20 foot high, dropping onto the dance floor. And the whole crowd got out of the way went under the balcony and this guy is lobbing milk bottles onto the dance floor. What? And then, and the, uh, the whilst the stage is on fire. <laughs> and, and then Blixer girl. and this is much debated. I, if you go right behind where the Hacienda was now, it says 1985, I searched for the Norbite and take a pneumatic drill to the Hacienda. That isn't what happened. In 1983 that happened. They had... Uh, it wasn't a pneumatic drill, it was a jackhammer, which if I was taking that wall down now, I'd sort of yeah. drill. And he, he drilled it into the wall of the Hacienda at the side of the stage and left it there. And a few days before or after, they, they dug up the floor of the ICA on the Strand in London. They got onto the floor and dug it up with a pneumatic drill. What? And he left it hanging out the wall, and every now and again he'd go back and give it a, a toot. <laughs> In, in, in 1985 it was just the most viscerally I'm, I'm excited now, viscerally exciting thing I've ever seen
0: what recognisable
2: instruments did they have on stage then? I think it was a drum kit but the rest of it was metal on metal and power tools and but, the guitar, but then you had a band called SPK which, stand in, which stood for different things every time they played so it was, there was seppuku socialist parcientic collectif uh, surgical Penis Clinic. This was pretty chart-topping that stuff. That is amazing. And they they had a great big. The guy swung a chain, an industrial chain, over your head with strobes on. And uh, but then test department who were who were doing the same thing. But then within a year, Depeche Mode were doing that. And if you watch the documentary about uh, so what's was was the studio at um, yeah. uh, the big famous studio in Berlin where they recorded?
0: Uh, the the Hanser. Yeah, yeah. Hansa and no, about them were
2: from. Berlin, and Depeche Mode wa- were watching that, and within a year, that stuff was in the charts. That sampled metal Absolutely. percussion, mm. but it remains the single most amazing thing I've ever seen because it was dangerous. And in '85, this the word had got round about this, and the hacienda was rammed. Really? but it was a f- it was a fairly straightforward alternative rock show. Right, and, okay. the, and the metal percussion didn't happen. Right. So this is all this is all in Peter Hook's book, but I think I think I well, know. He misremembered, and it was 83, not 85. That is incredible.
0: I I don't have a reference to that. I do have a reference for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Mm. which uh, are constantly some of the greatest gigs ever. And actually, this is the closest that I can get to it, is in... uh, It would have been, again, 99 2000, when Nick and the Bad Seeds played the Academy here in Manchester. Uh, I can't remember who was on percussion then but he was he was playing bricks and he had a yeah, never-ending yeah. supply of bricks that you would just smash together bang and they still sounded well, I mean they're incredible if you've never seen Nick
2: Cave or Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds live he, yeah I saw him at, the, I saw him at the arena a, a few a few years ago and I was I was you know I managed to be on guest list I sat with Johnny Marr and Maxine Pete which was a bit, a bit surreal watching, yeah, watching, a sure watching, watching, uh, watching, watching Nick Cave and he you see a lot of bands in the arena who can't work that room? Yeah, a- yeah, And you see bands that can because they yeah. been doing it for thirty years, and they, they make, they, they involve the audience, they play the room. But I saw Nick Cave doing it with an intimacy. His, his son had not long died. Did son fall off oh. a cliff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the intimacy he brought to that massive space was incredible. Mm. But I met I met him afterwards, and I was nervous, and I had a I had a I've got a t-shirt that's the f- the front seven inch of uh, Patti Smith's first single she's got like a bobble hat on and her hair okay. coming down yeah and it, and it was a cover of hey joe and the b-side's called piss factory and uh i had that single on a on a, a t-shirt and my sole conversation with nick cave was hey cool t-shirt so I, you, you take that off nick cave oh, yeah you know yeah but the, the the best Nick cave story he did that thing at the Bridgewater hall a few years ago when he was just playing the piano and talking were you there and oh, and, and yeah. he, he, he was taking out he was taking questions from the audience And people had come from all over Europe and they were standing up and they were crying at speaking to the man. You know, they couldn't get the words out. And then amidst all of that, a hand goes up and somebody says, I've got a question for you, Nick. Um, I bought your old flat in Brighton. Can you tell me where the stop tap is?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I know what you would have said. You
0: would have gone. Hey, Nick. Nick. love you, Love you. Do you know what I have? I have seen Nick Cave yeah. in Paddington Station. I literally just said, "Hey, Nick," and carried on as though I was. The, yeah, it was a totally I cool. S- thing. I saw the
2: Waterstones here reading from his first book when the ass when the ass saw the angel. Oh right, yes, okay. And he, he he was on heroin at the time, and he didn't he didn't look like he had long to go. Do you know what? The, one of the
0: best. I I'm not so much now, but I used to obsessively read uh, music books. So if any of you are readers, there's a, a biography of Nick Cave called Nick Cave The Bad Seed yeah. it is even if you don't know about him because I didn't really know much about him when I started reading it is one of the best music books ever the stories in there are incredible and um, and one of my questions which is a new question for the pod um, is related to that which is which gig have you been at and I've been to hundreds and, and you know sometimes I never want them to end but which gig have you been to that you just didn't want to end and because my answer to that is Nick Cave at the Philharmonic Hall in Liverpool. I could cry now, I didn't even know you, that's a bit embarrassing. It was Nick Cave and it was him and a uh, a piano and he would occasionally just bring one person on, it would be a violinist or just uh, someone with a snare drum. It is one of the most beautiful, mesmerising nights of music Mm -hmm. I've ever heard because below that sort of noise and that craziness, he writes the most beautiful lyrics. He really does. I don't believe in an in- interventionist god you know I did not want that night to end and there's sometimes you get those live gigs where you just think I could genuinely sit here for the next 12 hours listening to you and if you ever see the cure you have to but
2: I saw them in which, Ireland do <laughs> about 4 hours literally 4 hours who the cure cure yeah and and, and uh, ridiculous and, and they had about a field full of people, and then an hour later they were doing like uh, 1981 B-Sides, and, <laughs> and three and a half thousand people left. I, love and, that. I and I had a night out, and, and I, came, I came back, <laughs> about literally four hours later, and they went, it's Saturday night at the festival, I suppose we, we should do some songs you know, and then they played, you know, Love Cats and what Amazing. So So which, which gig from your
0: memory now, as I put you on the spot, would you think, do you know what, I remember that night, and I did not, I could have
2: listened to them all night. There was a glorious moment. I was at Glastonbury a few years ago, and it, it was a wet. It was a wet one. And Glastonbury is an endurance test. It can be. You, you, you walk 15, 20 miles a day. You stood up all day when it's muddy. I'm you, excited you, you for can't, this. You can't, you can't. You can't sit down. And then on the Sunday, there's about three o'clock. The the, the sun came out, and the mud starts baking off. And I always think we, we haven't got enough words for mud in this country. You know, in <laughs> L- the Eskimos got 500 words for snow. We we need more than one word for mud from mm-hmm. from sort of liquid planet. To, to, <laughs> yes. to that's really thick bouncy stuff but the sun came out and Toots and the May Tiles were on and they were, oh, were on in the drizzle yes. and as they came on the, the sun came out and it, it was just the most joyous glorious thing mm. and they played all those old ska hits and it, it was just lovely is the word and, it, and they just
0: that was on West Holt stage it was it, if, it, if I remember Sunday, Sunday Tea Time. yeah
2: he and dead. sadly he's no longer with us I know he? I, I, I missed him in Manchester but I, I love that stuff what oh, what a great what a great shout! Mm. That's in fact
0: that's the only time I've ever seen them is at Glastonbury because they would play he would play fairly regularly, wouldn't he? It's interesting, isn't it?
2: He I think he's credited with coining the word reggae. Have I got this right? I believe so. Do yes. the reggae it's spelled double G A Y? Yeah, but isn't it interesting when a when a genre comes out because the first person invents it, the second person is is a complete rip off. The third person <laughs> yes. is what are you doing? You're ripping me off. Yeah. But then, but then <laughs> it becomes a movement, you know. And it's interesting how those things. Somebody made the first reggae record. Somebody made the first hip hop record, you know. Yeah. And, so that means the second and third people must be feel like offs, But then it's <laughs> yes. but then it's a movement, yeah. isn't it? That's um, anyway. I was I, I want to bring it back to, to you as a
1: performer as well because mm. um, I mean we've t- we had Ben Taylor on the pod um, a few episodes ago, Magic Mod, yeah, who's a magician. And so he, oddly enough, he supported the Libertines on a couple of tours and Pete Doherty and a couple, and, of, couple and my, of tours. And my
0: best friend uh, Paul Weller. And Paul Weller,
1: yeah. yeah. But I, I was saying that there's a kind of similarity there with a, a magician supporting bands on tour and uh, poets being on the same bill as well because it must be mm. such a difficult thing, you know. You, you, you don't have, you know, you're really exposed and you know you've been on the bill with with, with various um, events obviously famously Um, how do you approach that do you approach it any differently to um, a a normal gig that you'd have
2: when i started in poetry i started um, on on the the performance poetry scene the slam poetry scene it was done as competitions Mm. yeah and there's some snobbery around it but i heard you know c6steve the 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 hobo busker guy yes mm -hmm. he said busking's great for your art because if you know good, you don't eat. Yeah. And, and and slam being a competition makes you you're going to get marks out of ten. It makes you think what what would get a good mark in this circumstance. Yeah. And I've heard it described as having golf clubs for the for the right you know the right club for the right shot. Hmm. So I think you need enough I think <laughs> you need enough material to change what you're doing from the business event and the old people's. Dinner dance and the pop event. So, so you the, so, so y- y- you read what the event is, and if it's a punky event or a festival, you can do that thing. If it's a big public event, but would you do it
1: during, a, a, a th- you know, during a performance th- and go, ah, this one, this next
2: one ain't gonna work. I'm gonna have to yeah, mix it's, it up, it's, it's it's about so. energy. When if you if people have paid to see you, then you can take them on a journey. Yeah. yeah. If it's um, if you're going on in a high energy rammed room like Tim Peaks, I did that once yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's like a chalet it's like a cafe it's no bigger than this room but they'll ram a few hundred people in. and as a performer people are literally yeah. on top of you yeah. and, and you've got to do you could switch it down but you've got to do a high energy thing for that
1: yeah. thing and I was just thinking about you know if it's not your crowd you know how do you approach that I mean because it's tough
2: it's quite interesting the first time you try and do sort of uh what are quite cliched compare things and make some noise and yeah. Mexican way people do it when you ask them to and, and so you learn that sort of crowd control mm. stuff Pe- yeah. people, people have come out for a good time, they, 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 they don't want people to be crap and, and if you ask them to, to join in with having a good time you can win them over a bit of patter helps uh, and then I've got some high energy music related poems for music situations but you know, I did, I did the one love concert after I did the poem after the bomb I got invited to do the One Love concert at uh, at the cricket ground at Old Trafford and it was 14 days after the bomb had gone off Mm. and they pulled off a a live aid from a standing start yeah so emotional police with machine guns everywhere you know and I I, when I got there I said this is live to 38 countries is it and the guy said it's 52 countries now and I said how many people he said 150 million at least And he said, you're on at nine o'clock after the school choir was gonna sing. So that's what I was gearing myself up to. And then Liam Gallagher had been asked to do it and couldn't. He was billed to be on in Germany at a festival. But Chris Martin from Coldplay said, I'll send a private jet for you. And he had his set to tea time and he flew in. And I was moved from my slot to to just before it went live on the TV. It was being streamed around the world, but I was on at 10 to seven and of course I, I didn't say Dickie Bird because it, you know, it wasn't about me in, in, in any way and I didn't say a single thing but I, I went out at 10 to 7 knowing it was being streamed around the world to 60, 60 odd thousand people in the, in the arena, knowing what that poem meant in that moment and that, that, was, uh, that was that was pretty scary yeah,
0: can and, can, and can I, I might edit this out but I've not had a chance to chat to you since because this is I don't want to, I don't want this to be deemed as anything other than the genuine thing it is. But mm. as a, a I've, I've been, a, I keep thinking I've been in Manchester for a few years, but I moved up when it was Media City. But um, sadly, that that tragedy that night affected uh, my family. Um, I'm sorry to uh, uh, and with friends in our community as well. And I just want to, and I think we might cut this out, but I, uh, please don't think this crass. But I just want to thank you for your part, and I know it's not, it's not about you, it's not about this and that, but what you did in that moment for this city, and I, I feel like you know, I'm hopefully an adopted, uh, adopted member of, of Manchester. I think is just indescribable, and. I, I sort of want to say thank you, but that sounds really crass, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. Oh, but I, 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 I just it. at least want to acknowledge what it's, you did, thank what you. you did for this for this city, and how you helped to bring it together. And I told you earlier, my son who's hiding around the corner—they study you in high school now, you know, and they write about you. Mm. And so, yeah, thank you for. Thank you for those words that we probably couldn't have expressed ourselves, and so appreciate what you did for for Manchester no, Thank at
2: that you. Time. It's, it's, it's coming up to... Thank you.
0: Uh, Let's follow that with the only question I could. What is your worst ever gig, Tony?
2: We've all had rubbish gigs, Uh, haven't we? Come um, on. There's there's bands that you think are going to be good and then they're disappointing. (laughs) But then there's the rooms you find yourself in that are just criminally criminally uncool. So, what's the the uncoolest room I've ever been in? I um, I used to go to a club in Oldham called uh, Romeo and Juliet on the roundabout on the edge. You know it?
0: Knowing on laughs. The, on Knowing on laughs. On, <laughs>, the <laughs> edge,
2: on the edge of Oldham. It's like, it was a massive old cinema or something. Still there? Still there? Still
0: there. What, what is it now? I
2: think it's there, like, so Is it's it? it. Oh. it was, was it called Butterflies after that? Yeah, it was Froggies. Yeah, yeah. But in the early 80s, there was a massive, very mainstream room playing the chart stuff, and there was a basement that was a bit sort of alternative. You know, you'd, you'd have... Uh, they'd, they'd play... Um, uh, Bowie down there and Bow House and and The Suite and Roxy and stuff like that you know a right. bit left field mm. uh, but upstairs was very very mainstream so you, you went between the two um, and I think I was upstairs once when I think they were on and that, that wasn't <laughs> that that wasn't a highlight the tweets do you, do you know, the do tweets? know what I love in Britain <laughs> <laughs> that someone can just go
0: and we all know
2: Oh ah, yeah, that, 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 that was it. And that
1: that would, they, who was it? The I think it was the tweets. Was it was the tweets?
0: I'm looking at Jimmy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, They were called the tweets.
1: So of course <laughs> I joined the in. The
0: twats.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh tweets. Tweets. Of course <laughs> <The> I joined <laughs> in the gear. Yeah. You know. You know your basically. children are here, yeah? They they're, they're not my Yeah, children. <laughs> I haven't told them yet, but they don't know. it <laughs> was a dance you had to do to sweet. That is brilliant.
0: Do you know what I'm? I I like as all our guests. Wigwam bam. our guests interpret that question differently but knowing your history of gigs i also want to interpret that for you that so that yeah that was a pretty uncool gig i'll give you that but what was a bad gig that you were just really annoyed about because you were actually looking forward to it or you know this was an act artist band that you loved and it was just Rubbish. Shall I say mine again? Just, yeah, for, do, well, just for the cheap seats. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. What, was, what was yours again? I forget. S- Stone Roses. Oh yeah. 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 What, you said, the roses at the Etihad. It was bad sound. If anyone was there I left, night. I left. before the resurrection. Oh wowzers. Well. That's criminal. Chucking saying that. In, in, in Manchester. Come on, make an effort. Move. I. Do you know, I left the Manics headline in Glastonbury. And well. I, yeah, I know. And I'm a. Massive Manix fan. I've um, not mentioned it. I haven't mentioned it on this podcast, mm-hmm. have I? I mean, I like a proper Manix obsessive. And <laughs> by the time by the time they headlined, it they came on, and you know when that act you love are just going through the motions, and I thought. No, I can't witness this whole gig, so I left, and I actually found Orbital, which was brilliant. So I, I, what, I'm, I'm, str-
2: I'm struggling to think, and I, I and I don't like disrespecting anybody because because people. It's not about disrespect. You no, know, people doing about. I remember. We'll whisper it to me and I'll I remember. disrespect. I remember the two. Were they called, what were they called? In In the city or something? Uh, uh, in the city. No, no, no. at, at Heaton Park. When uh, Martin Hannock died, there was two big, two big gigs, uh, on the Friday and the Saturday, and. Oh, yeah. uh, Sits in the park. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 and. Dela Dela Soul were on. And, oh and, no, I love and, them. And and, and I, I loved the first couple of Dela Soul albums and that whole uh, sort of Daisy Age hip hop thing there. Yes. In the early eighties, but um, it it just felt a bit lame. Just felt a bit. No. Put your hands in the air. Like you just don't care. And <laughs> it just it just felt a bit lame. And and they've done some amazing tracks since. Yeah. But uh, maybe I haven't seen much live hip hop. It, it, um, it was that, a bit
0: disappointing Do you know what though, that's, that's sort of a run theme and I, I am a big hip hop fan I've seen a lot of live hip hop and I think more than any other genre it is so hit and miss, and even like with grime now, I absolutely love the grime scene, mm-hmm. but it is you go and see a gig and you're not really, even though you may know the artist yeah. you, you have no clue if this is going to be utter cack or if it's good, and I I, I you know, I don't know if it's just it's the DJ the mic thing. But the, sa-
2: the sound can let a band down, can not it? You know, and that's not mm. the, that's not the band's fault. Well, oh, that was You go and see, it you see well. a band, and the, and yes. the sound's not. You know, the, it's all about. You know, I, I'm interested in words, and and some bands, you know, the lyrics. It's just a noise. It's part of it. But sometimes the lyrics yeah. are a really big part. And if yeah. you can't hear the words in the mix, yeah. that's really disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, before
0: we take you on to the last two questions, I'd like to ask you a question now.
2: Uh, having heard a bit more because yeah. our, our, our time is, is, is really running out let me, let me just say something if you're going to ask 50 odd year old blokes to come and do live podcasts you've got to time the things in relation to the, to the male bladder you know. You told me an hour and I planned for this <laughs> but, but you've,
0: you've, you've, you've really you've said some amazing stuff and so I want to hear your answer now this question in itself has recently become a podcast by uh, a wonderful DJ who we both love and respect, Sean Keaveney. um, But we have been asking this question on our podcast for uh, a year now, so we have not stolen this from Sean Keaveney. And again, Sean, please feel free to come on the podcast. Love you. (laughs) Love you. You are curating your own festival, Tony, but these have to be acts that you've seen. Oh, right. Okay? Now,
2: so you didn't, have four... I've prepared for a different question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah, we did. But
0: you've seen, you've mentioned so many bands. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we don't have to spend loads of time on this. You've got four bands, okay? You've got a starter, yeah. all arriving at the festival, who's opening that festival. Yeah. Then you've got that sort of lunchtime act. Then you've got the penultimate, who's really warming us up. And then the fourth, is your headliner so I'm
2: sorry if I've put you in. So here. you know there's a rock and roll moment here because I was after a different question that I've got a really great answer to so now I've got to think on my feet. So that look, means then uh,
0: we will answer this question have a break for a toilet if you need <laughs> it and then we're gonna ask you the other question that uh, <laughs> we asked you because I want to hear that now. So who's opening? Who's opening?
2: Who's gonna open that stage? I. Um, I was at Glastonbury one year, maybe the same year we were talking about when when Iggy Pop turned up with the, with the Stooges, with the original with the Stooges. Stooges. yes. And uh, there was a lot of what gets called supermarket indie, landfill indie, <laughs> on, on on you know perfectly solid indie bands on on quite big stages. And Iggy Pop, he it, it was in it was in his sixties at the time, just came on and attracted a, a massive crowd on the second stage. It was thick mud. He had, the guy had no top on, and it, the music <laughs> felt dangerous. It's 69, 70, 70, the music's 40 years old. Yeah. And about three songs in, he said, Everybody up on stage. Yes, was And it was just a massive crush. And, he, and it, with the mud, you thought, Somebody is going to die for you. <laughs> Maybe I was an old health and safety. So, opening with that. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, we're going yeah, to op- open with Iggy Pop and, and leave really? every, the Stooges, in fact, not Iggy Pop.
0: There must uh, have been 70, 80 people at least on stage,
2: wasn't it? There was there a guy, you know, you know, them whisper bars, chocolate bars. They, were, they were weren't being made and there was a guy on stage with a, with a banner, banner saying bring, bring back Witches." <laughs> 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 on, 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 st- on, st- on stage with the Stooges. I love you know? it, I love it. So what you've done now is put the rest of the bands really
0: in the shit because we've yeah, be- just had diggy Pop open they're like well, we might as well just go home. Yeah. So as we're, as we're having lunch, who, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's, who's on now?
2: There's, uh, there's a guy I want to mention, and I was going to mention him, and I don't know where else to mention him. But um, I'm half Irish, and I grew up listening to Irish music uh, in part. Christy Moore. If, mm-hmm. if you've, if you've oh, ever wow. seen Christy wow. Moore, he yes. Yes. guy's astonishing. He's, he must be 70 now, and he's, he goes back to the 60s. He used to play in Manchester in little folk clubs. And I've seen him two or three times in Ireland. I've seen him over here. And Billy Bragg is the nearest I've seen to what he does. Yeah. he'll do two hours he'll do three hours and you'll literally be laughing your head off one minute with the patter <laughs> and some of like comedy songs yeah. then he'll switch it, and you'll be crying you'll be, you'll be crying yeah. at, the, at the songs and then he'll do a rabble rouser thing you know and then there's thank you then he'll, then he'll do <laughs> thank you. Then, he'll, then he'll do something political but if you see him in Ireland at a sort of festivals it, everyone's had a drink and they're swaying and it's like yeah. a rock gig and it's just a yeah. 70 year old guy sat down playing a guitar but he's, he's an astonishing performer in terms of the journey he takes you on.
1: Yeah, there was a great clip That's I saw brilliant. on Twitter yes, yesterday, the before? Of him telling a, uh, somebody you see it? to shut yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the car yeah, yeah. Um, down the back. yeah. Well, that, that, he was
2: on, he was on uh, the Late Late Show in Ireland, uh, very, quite a mainstream show, somewhere between the Wogan show and the Jonathan Ross show. And he has a song that, uh, I think it's live, he has a song that he can change the words to. And he just changed it and it was really political. What what he what he did live on TV? Is that the
1: gay burn? No, it's anything. a younger guy now. We no, can just see
2: him on the show. And, oh shit! Oh, is
1: it he, recently? Yeah, yeah, about fortnight. It's the same
2: show. Uh, about a fortnight ago, and he really went there, slagging the government off and everything. And they were like, oh shit. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't give a crap. He just did it. You know? Good, nice one. Good nice one.
0: Good one. That is a great lunchtime. And now we've got the penultimate band who really need to warm us up, even though Iggy Pop did it earlier, and you were definitely on the stage, so, I, with Iggy, I can tell, tops off
2: and everything. We, 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 have, we haven't, uh, I hadn't planned for this, but now we're, we're at the, um, we're in the yeah, legend, legend slot now, aren't we? Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 we, so, are.
2: yeah we are. You know, we, we've, we've had ACDC, we've had Einstein, we've had Christian Christy M- Christy Moore, as a lyricist, as a songwriter, I'm going to say Dolly Parton. I'm, were you there at Glastonbury? I wasn't. I missed it I, we were and you it's, I've been to Glastonbury
0: for years and years and years and there has never been a crowd at the pyramid stage like it was for you couldn't even stand among the, the tents wo- the, at the woman top of the pyramid is
2: a genius stage. you know dirt poor in a shack in the, in the mountains yes you know to where she is now she gives tons of money away she's got a book uh, thing. she buys books and gives them to kids yes yeah, mm. she does she, she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You in the same day yeah. yeah, 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 in the same day, and uh, I was cooking the other night. And she came on, and Jolene came on, and I cried. Uh-huh. Pl- um, I, I, you could have your choice again, and I but I you could have your choice again, but I could never love again. You know, That's genius. Yeah. I cried. And the second song that came on was her version of um, I Will Always I Will Always Love You that, yeah. that um, Whitney covered. And yeah. she, if you see the documentary, she was. She was uh, mentored by this old time country guy yeah. who, who brought her up and put her on his TV show and she wanted to do her own thing. And she wrote that. And know, she fin- wrote Jolene, had a biscuit. I literally wrote, I will always love you. Saying, look, I, I, need, I need to leave you now. I need to do my own things. Thanks for everything. And her version of that is so beautiful. It's great. Isn't it? And I cried. And the next song came on was um, my coat of many colors. We only had rags and my mum made me this coat out of rags, and everyone took the piss out of me, but I knew it was made of love, and I cried, and I cried to three songs in a row. Yeah. Amazing. And and uh, that's not easy to do with simple words. And she she said no to Elvis, didn't she? She did. To, I will always love you. There's, there's she a, said because he apparently yeah it.
0: apparently he was absolutely absolutely. Someone correct me if I'm wrong because this is quite a well known story, but I'm sure it was Elvis that kept on at her, and she kept saying no. And El, El, Elvis, Elvis famously
2: under Colonel Parker. Because he knew that if he covered your songs, you weren't going to get 50%. He was going to have 90% because he knew you couldn't turn down how much 10% would be. So everybody who ever wrote a song for Elvis got a really, really crap deal. And there's a famous story about guitar man. Nobody wants to hire a guitar man. Mm. And the guy who wrote that, it's, it's quite hard to play. And they were in the studio and they couldn't get the guitar part. Um, and they were in the, which Nashville or wherever, in the town where the guy wrote it. He said, well, Get him in, get him in. And he'd been, he'd been working in his garden or something, or playing golf or something. And he came in his scruffs, and there was a thing that they actually got quite smartly dressed in the studio. And he came in in his scruffs, it was about six o'clock now, or whatever time it was, they have been doing it all day. And he just sat down and, and laid down his own guitar part and blew all these guys away. And, and it's something to do with it. it's an unusual tuning and he blew them away, and Elvis is, is well chuffed. And uh, so, th- just to be clear, this is the guy's own song that he'd already recorded. Yeah. Elvis is well chuffed, and then the Colonel gets him on one side, and uh, just so you know, he said, uh, this is the way Elvis does business. He's on this percent, and you're on that percent. He said, no, he said, that's not happening. He said, that's the way Elvis does business, and that percent is more money than you've ever had in your life, and that's your pension. He said, that's not happening. He, and uh, he said, he said the, the songwriter said, you can go over there and tell Elvis, that that song that he's just thrilled about um, isn't, isn't going to happen or you can pay me the proper money. And he, and he paid him the proper money and that's the only songwriter that ever got a good deal off Elvis. But no way. But Dolly Parton turned him down and she wouldn't sign that deal.
0: Yeah. And then she later signed it for Whitney. Well, I'll tell you what's really
2: interesting. I heard this the other day. Do you know um, um, Mungo Jerry that wrote uh, In the Summer Time? time da, 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 da. He had... He had um, Uh, A contact that said I can get you a song in front of Elvis. Write me a song and I'll get it to Elvis. And we know it now as not just a disco song, the naff end of disco. And uh, you can join in in a moment. Uh, My head is in a spin, my feet don't touch the ground. Because you're near to me, my heart is around. My knees are shaking, baby. My heart beats like a drum. That was written for Elvis. I feel no. like a the minute, the, minute, the minute you no say way. that, you can, you, can, you can actually You can, you can hear no that. But well, that was written for Elvis. I, I, I watch a lot of music docs on BBC4. That's the only reason I know this stuff. That I don't is know. a Bell That's well, a good story,
0: isn't it? My, my only one like that is because of um, uh, my CBeebies past, Mr. Mr. Tumble. Anyone know Mr. Tumble, Justin? His dad is the only British songwriter to have written an A side for. Elvis Presley. That's pretty cool. Oh, Guy Fletcher. Wow. Yeah. And Dolly Parton, as you mentioned. His Dad. dad's Guy Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Tumble's dad's Guy. Yeah. I had no idea. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, wow. Amazing, I, I, had a, I had a
2: surreal moment. I wrote I wrote the poem when Blue Peter was sixty. They made a yeah. video of it, that's and brilliant. they they had me perform it at the Roundhouse in London at the Children's Baftas. And the Roundhouse, I it, you know talk about gigs, everything that's yeah. happening there, you know all, all the all the Pink Floyd happenings right through to the uh, there's a Ramones live album recorded oh, yeah. there. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing rock history in the room. And I did my Blue piece poem, and you couldn't, you couldn't see far into the room, but all sort of children's TV industry were there. And I got a stand ovation and all I could see in the front row was Mr. Tumble and the one surviving Chuckle Brother. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and it was, that was quite a rock and roll moment.
0: Wow. And let me tell you, uh, being a good friend with Mr Tubble you cannot go anywhere with him it's like you're walking round town with Tom Cruise yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy that was proper rock and yeah, it was roll, rock and, roll yeah. wow. and Dolly Parton contacted CBeebies to well, do the bedtime out she really? so she's done the bedtime out she's done the bedtime story and she contacted them because she
2: does so much for she gives millions she, she, she gives millions away and oh, lit- 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 literally literally millions and of the
1: biggest Book distributors in the yes, world, is. and, and they is
2: buy, they foreign. buy, yes, she is. they yeah. buy books and give them to out yeah. through primary schools. That's and a that's,
0: a what, and that's how, that's how bright she is. She'd found out that like these famous people were doing this BBC thing because all of a sudden CBBC just went. I tell you what, we're fed up of EastEnders and Corrie people. Let's ask, you know, uh, Dave Brawl and Captain America. And Dolly Parton was like, "Hang on a sec, I'm going to get in on yeah. that because then it pushed her." Her charity, yeah. and she's you know yeah. you, as an artist,
2: as a businesswoman, as a humanitarian. You no, know, that's an amazing contribution. Yeah, you know,
0: she's yeah. amazing. Okay, so Dolly, yeah, headliner. Donny Parton's oh, been on. We're all crying yeah. four songs in a row. So who is going to play us off into the? I was going to say sunset, but it's well dark
2: now. I, I really haven't planned this, and who, who follows that lineup? I um, who's got the, the back catalogue to, to follow that. I think I think Bowie could close that day, and I, I never saw Bowie. Uh, oh. and, and I'd, lo- I'd love to have done. Um, so the only band of the stature to close that, and I did see was was the Rolling Stones. So right. so I was at Glastonbury. Yeah. The year the Rolling Stones played. Yeah. And um, y- you, uh, you're getting the message now that bladder management is an issue for me, you know. So the Rolling the Rolling Stones were on. And, and if you put if you put yourself in the middle of that crowd, you ain't coming out again for a week. Yeah. So I, I, didn't drink, I didn't drink anything from about you know Tuesday to to to, uh, to get myself in in the front there. And Primal Scream were on, and uh, they I think they struggled. The, yeah. You know the, you know the the rootsy end of Primal Scream it borrows from that seventy three Stones. Yeah, that thing. blues. And uh, they, they struggled with the crowd because everyone just wanted to see the Rolling Stones. And they came on, and. I don't normally bother it unless I get myself you know, in front of the sound desk and in and they came on it and it's the Rolling Stones, it's the Rolling Stones and, and for me there's only the Stones, the Beatles, maybe Bowie that, that have got that stature and they just came on hit after hit after hit and Jagger is the same age as my dad, you know, and, and uh, the energy of the man, you know, running around. I went to the V&A once to see an exhibition and his, his pants are there from the, from the Hyde Park <laughs> in a glass case. Who? Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger's case. Oh. In a in a case, and, and they're, they're about as big for a ten and eleven year old girl. These flare, flare pants. But the so energy so was so incredible, cool. and and uh, Mick on guitar, and they did like two two and a half hours, and people said it didn't come across on the telly, yeah. And it looked old, and looked like they were trotting it out. But from where I was standing, it was incredible. And you, and you finish, and you think they've done everything, and then you realise, done haven't this, yeah, haven't and that, you know. The, yeah. But as a, a two-hour rock show and as a canon, it was pretty hard to beat, you know. It, it, it was incredible.
1: That is a great festival lineup. Right, we're going to take a short comfort break, and then we're going to finish this podcast if it kills us.
0: And it will only be a few. It will only be a few minutes. Do you, do you, I really
2: do need a week Yeah, <laughs> so do I. So do I. I'm busting.
0: Uh, like, I mean, the end of the podcast will just be a few minutes. So it is not the first time on this podcast that we've had a, uh, a bladder break, and uh, no doubt it's, it won't be the last. No, the first one was... Uh, Too much what information there, guys. No, no the first
2: one it's was, was uh, Gaz Whelan.
1: To. We were on a Zoom call with Gaz Whelan. Oh, Gaz and the Happy Mondays. <laughs> all, oh, yeah. all
0: three of us went, yeah, I really need a wee. <laughs> we'll so we'll go. Just <laughs> <left>. <laughs> let's all, let's all <laughs> go. Yeah. And uh, Gaz and the Mondays, and James, who played a barnstormer of a gig on Friday in we'll we'll Manchester. We'll so we'll were you there? I was there.
1: Oh.
0: Ah, the right 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 they—they are. James are just one of those bands, aren't they? Who sometimes joyous, think, they? oh, but then when they get, although some people say they always get it right, and I like that they always play what they want to play. I, I, but I, when, I, boy, they are one of the J- best, aren't they? James
2: and the Stone Roses both played Blackpool. Um, oh yeah. Empress Ballroom mm. same summer or two different summers, and and. Uh, James for me was a lot more memorable, a lot, a lot more yeah. enjoyable. Really? Yeah. Oh it was. wow. The Stone Roses wow. was. Uh, I, I like the Stone Roses. I saw them. I saw them at the international earlier on, and uh, but uh, the, I think there was a lot of dodgy tickets. There was a lot of people ram, <laughs> rammed in, and I couldn't see. Oh, the size really? of me, he felt he felt dangerous. Oh wow. Yeah. I couldn't see. Wow, wow, wow. Um, but he was iconic and everything. Mm. It was a real moment, but. Um, I got a lot more from James you know, J- James have that ability to,
0: uh, I took my kids to, we went to Neighbourhood Weekender this year, and you had Shed Seven, Sam Fender, uh, who's just incredible, You know, I'm obsessed with that boy, and then James headlined, and oh man, it, it can, just, it, it's joyous, it was, it was so yeah, joyous. Yeah, they can work she, a field, just yeah. unreal, yeah, they're just brilliant. So, oh, go up. on Chris. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah, so
1: the 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 question that we were going to ask was um, about a fantasy lineup for a band. You can resurrect your perfect band to play at a festival.
0: I I I thought long and hard about this. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, I, like I thought this. sadly long and hard about so it. And,
2: and we are we right think we've got we've got drums, bass guitar, we, lead guitar, and vocals. Yeah? Vocals, yeah. Yeah. We um, because we've meandered. Some of these people have. have uh, Made an appearance before. I like it. But um, I I thought really hard about not putting fandom, not putting five random players in because they were great players. I I felt the need to put a band together that might, that might, that might work. That's so funny. So then, so then, I didn't want it to be all blokes. So I was, was, you know, you got lots of names, five places on the team sheet. So I went with Mo Tucker on drums for the for the um, for the. Mo from the Velvet Underground stood yeah. up and just played two sort of kettle drums <laughs> yes. and made an iconic sound. Keep it simple. Yeah. And uh, you know, you could say Pete, um, Keith Moon, you could say Ringo Starr, you could say Rennie, you could say whoever, but um, that was a very distinct sound. Yeah. Uh, and the look of it, a stand-up drummer, and uh, Bobby Gillespie did it with Jesus who I Love. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and um, so that set me off on a track. Okay, this So is that set me off with who, who could play with that obviously going to be primal aren't you who could play yeah. with that so then i didn't plan to mention him before this point but but angus young turned up from acdc okay and and it's the blues you know and and you know we're sounding like jack white at this point now we? we're sounding like the white stripes blues and the primal drums yeah like that and you could probably just leave it there yeah you know I mean? yeah, yeah 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 you probably could that would work so then I? you're looking for the bass and um I'm going to give a shout out to, to Peter Hook at this point, because there are very few bass players with an entirely signature sound that you know who they are from straight away. Yeah. So Peter Hook would, would be a contender, but then in terms of putting this vibe together, I went with Lemmy for the, for the, for the, for the primal thing, I went, I went with Lemmy, he was a great bass player, I, mm. I went with Lemmy on bass, Angus Young on guitar, Mo Tucker on drums.
0: Oh, my yeah. gosh. So who, who
2: is leading this band? Well, I it's cannot gonna, wait. To it's got to be Iggy Pop, hasn't it? So <laughs> we went back there. So Iggy Pop could front that band. So then we right. said, um, you can have one more player. Who would it be? So I thought, well, you don't need synth in this band. Uh, Tambourine get lost. You don't need trombone. Who'd be? So it has to be a vocalist who could add something to that mix. So then I'm thinking... Um, you know, give me, give me shelter. The, the, the Rolling Stones, the soulful focus on that, and it, it's a woman mm. called Mary, Ma- Ma- Mary Clayton, sang mm. of that. Whoa, Mary, it's, it's just, yeah. it's an astonishing uh, vocal performance that steals that track. Yeah. And sh- they were recording in the studio, and we, oh, we, we need some soulful vocals on here. Do we know anyone? And, and it was like one o'clock in the morning, and she was in bed, and she was eight months pregnant and she got the call and she came into the studio and they gave her this track and she's from a different tradition musical tradition <coughs> and they gave her this track rape murder it's just a kiss away what and she sang it in one take that what you heard was the first take shut up and the and the and 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 they were like that I thought that, that, that can't possibly have happened so she did a second take just so you know to to make you know yeah. just to make sure that happened you know yeah and she went home that was the first take and the woman the woman was in a dressing gown in, with her hair in curls I think she's walked into a room eight months pregnant uh, and that's the track I think uh, I think I read that she lost a baby <gasps> un, 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 unrelated to that, but oh, I think awesome. she lost a baby it. but she that was one take one o'clock in the morning by an eight month pregnant woman with her hair in curlers and a house coat
1: have you heard that separated as well I, I have think, yeah it's, it's astonishing that's so, awesome. that's crazy. so building,
2: the, the, building the band up from the drums Mo took her primal drums Lemmy Roraz on, on the bass. Angus Young, maybe doing a slightly different thing, but yeah. right back to the blues. Iggy pop causing chaos, yeah. and those vocals holding their own with it. Well, when, oh, I, when,
1: I, when I asked the question, I was talking about a festival band, but
2: actually, what would the venue be?
1: What, yeah, do you reckon that they could would a, have a, to be a, a, festival? a slightly
2: too small venue for, yeah. for, for, for that band? It's got to be the Apollo, hasn't it? Well, you could say the Apollo. I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the uh, the Albert Hall here in Manchester. It's a great place to see yeah, a band. Yeah. And I think what you're seeing in Manchester now, you're seeing bands who were bigger than that venue playing there because they just love the vibe of it. Yeah. And as a as a performer, you, know, you do a lot of gigs. You slept around the country. You remember the you remember band gigs by excitement. And if you can, if the room helps you generate that excitement, then you're going to want to play there.
0: And yeah. we'll say what they're going to do is a fan club only gig warm up here at the Deaf Institute. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, a plan. Exactly, yeah, uh, Tony. That that is a great lineup, and we <laughs> we at last. If, for if you I
2: if I could be on stage on bongos or pneumatic drill, then uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say we'll, <laughs> do, we'll get you. I'll an be ang- on flamethrower. Yeah, we'll get you an
1: angle grinder, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: you can just uh, tip up. Brilliant. So we uh, we always finish the podcast with two recommendations, and so our first recommendation is a live act that. Chris and I should go and see but as we have people here who is a live act that we may or may not have seen that we should go and see live
2: we've um, we've gone around in circles a little bit some of these people are going to get uh, a repeat so Christy Moore is in Astonishing Night Out you will laugh you will cry yeah what you also said ACDC yeah That's a good I, one. I do think they've got one more tour in them, and if you get a chance um, that is astonishing what you can do with a drums bass guitar, vocal, blues, blueprint. It's astonishing what they can do to 7,000 yeah. people. Um, and I'd, re- I'd recommend you try catch them next time around. Yeah, brilliant. Great. And then the
1: last question we always ask is about uh, a live album or a live track or a live, you know, footage of a live performance that's maybe on YouTube. One that is your go-to, can't live without, you go to it if you're feeling down or if you want to be happy or if you want to get modeling. And, yeah. and, and
0: I'm only saying, I know we've said it before, yeah. but only because it's done the rounds again and we've got people yeah, yeah, yeah. with us yet again today and it's a, now it's always a, a, a live album or a live video I, I recommended Mystery White Boy which is a Jeff Buckley live album but one of our guests recommended the video that it just won't go off my social media it's the Hall of Fame gig where, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps and you've got the wonderful Tom Petty and Jeff Lane and all that lot, blah, blah 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 and then Prince just walks on he walks on and plays the most outstanding solo, but then throws his guitar in the air and it doesn't come down.
2: It, it's, it's ast- it disappears. It's an astonishing um, He walks
0: thing. off, doesn't yeah, he?
2: Everyone on, everyone on the stage is a world class player. Yes! And, yeah. and they're all just looking at each other and go, is What guy? is
0: this guy? Is Wait, there the moment
1: where he leans so back clean. into the audience as well yeah. and they support him? <laughs> yeah. And then he gets pushed back on the stage. And he and, literally
0: oh, just plays well, But like that made me
1: cry what? as well, it's
2: beautiful. But oh, well, you were telling us before
1: about this clip. Go on, tell us again.
2: I, I, um, I f- about uh, three years ago, I found myself in Abbey Road with Noel Gallagher, which isn't a sentence I ever thought I'd say. Yeah, we, we all have. We all And um, <laughs> we, we were having, there's a canteen in there, and I was telling him about that clip. He'd never he'd never seen it, and I've heard I've heard him talk about it since. And, and it, it's just an astonishing uh, clip. Pretty, you find it on YouTube. Prince with. Uh, an all-star lineup at the at the George Harrison Memorial <laughs> concert. Yeah. So so what what would yours be? That, that
1: was yeah. our kind of. It just suggestion. keeps coming out. Yeah, I, I, I had a bit of a time. Motown
2: phase and a soul phase and a Northern Soul phase in the mid mid eighties. Nice. And um, you know those Holland, Dozier Holland, those Motown albums are, are unbelievable. And there's a live one of the Four Tops from about 1965, live at the Rooster Tail. And there's, right. a, there's a there's a moment in there, and I'm just having a mental blank at which track it is but uh, baby I need your loving baby I need your love and he just brings it down and it, in my mind it's like a, cab, uh, a supper club a cabaret club of people who are dressed smart you know it's a hometown audience he just brings it down and he goes into one of those talking bits you know and Levi Stubbs' voice is an incredible mm. instrument yeah. and he just brings it back up and everybody joins in and there's a certain moment when the crowd just join in, and I just burst into floods of tears at that point. Oh, Baby, I need your loving. Live at the roof Cell at Four right, Tops. For
1: every episode that we do for this podcast, we create a web page for every guest. Okay. And so you will have a Spotify playlist on there, and loads of the um, performances that you've talked about as well are yeah. going to be on that web, web page. So that's gigstoriespodcast.com. Um, it's got all the episodes on there. Um, I can't wait to put yours together it's going gonna to gonna be
0: rocking it's going to be a belter and for those of you here if you've not heard the podcast uh, before you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter we're at Gig Stories Pod and, and wherever you get your podcasts we're the Gig Stories Podcast have a listen but Tony doing If, 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 if we're doing we we do pl- we do plugs... Oh, can yeah, I, can oh, I, can we I can are. We, are. We, haven't yet. So, we haven't finished yet.
2: So they, they call me Longfellow uh, My website is longfella.co.uk. Uh, my book is called Sex and Love and Rock and Roll. Uh, I've got a few copies with me, ladies and gentlemen. £10, special Christmas offer, Black Friday, all that. Two for £20, ladies and can't say <laughs> fair, But um, I'm on Twitter, at Longfella Poet. And uh, see you online. This has been
0: honestly an absolute pleasure and and, and privilege so please everyone here let's give it up for Mr Tony Walsh. Thanks everybody,
2: thanks guys thanks for having me.
1: Tony Walsh there
0: brilliant brilliant stuff and thank you to um there was quite a few people that stayed for the whole interview mm. and thank you to the people that came in uh, and out and stayed for a bit and then carried on and that was great it was it was um we were actually right next to a vinyl stalls in the deaf institute and we were welcoming people to come in carry on shopping head on out we didn't want to stop everything that was the nature of the day and it was it was great Mm. but tony oh my gosh do you know what i really loved is how much he loves his sort of old rock and roll is 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 hard rock metal acdc yes that really appealed to me
1: so if you do um want to um get some of tony's stuff some of his books and you believe me you do um he, his website is longfeller dot uk, and he's Longfeller poet on um, Twitter. And um, y- yeah, you'll be able to find him either by searching for Tony Walsh or by searching for Longfeller. Um, but yeah, and
0: he's available for hire. That sounds funny, oh, yeah. but some of our listeners may be teachers in schools and such. Does loads
1: um, in the education yeah. sector.
0: Yeah, the, and- he, that would be a. That would be a great experience. And it was lovely for my son to meet Tony and they had a picture together um, because in uh, in high school, my son, they've been studying Tony and his work and had to write about him and had to try and write as though they were Tony Walsh. And it's just fabulous. So that was really nice for him to meet. He's what what a wonderful artist. Thank you so uh, much, Tony
1: i really appreciate that it was great it was great so um all that we can say now is that we have one more episode before the end of the year and it is it is our um our christmas episode and what did we say alex we're going to put it out maybe on the 23rd so that people have um have that episode to wrap presents to and exactly i mean you're not going to be decorating the tree on the 23rd of december are you
0: no, you know, no, no. no.
1: But wrapping with a wee glass of fizz or an eggnog.
0: Yeah. Do you like
1: eggnog? No, I can't think of anything worse. Um,
0: really? Just the thought could, of it. I could give you a list of things.
1: Well, yeah, but, that's true. You know. but, um, I, um, it's, um, it's on a list of things which are not Fair really so. appealing to me. Um, and
0: listener, just giving you a clue, please watch out and then listen on the 23rd or at least early on the 24th, because um, one of the things that I love about this guest is that this guest's social media really comes to life on Christmas Eve. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it's like the toys in the old, twas the night before Christmas. And all I toys. know, Come I on. know that's it.
0: I just love it. So thank yeah. you as always. And you can, you can find us uh, gig stories pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let us know what you think about, <clears throat> I'm sorry, listener, there. I've got I've got the coughs, Chris. I've got the coughs. Leave that in. Don't edit it. I want people to know my struggles. Oh, um, wow, you're a soldier, <laughs> aren't you? Oh I'm so God. brave. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, listener, send us um your views on on merchandise and, and what you're gonna do. And um if you've bought merchandise, if you're asking when you go into gigs, and tell us about your gigs you're going to and send us your pictures of your ticket stubs and and remember get on chris's website and buy some prints because if not the dog's not going to get fed over christmas actually that's a lie his dog will get fed chris won't get fed over christmas (laughs) and we'll see you very very soon for our christmas special ho ho ho